Good morning. I'm Karen Can. I'm your Global Outreach Coordinator. And we tell you all the time, Pastor Doug and I, about our world-class par impact partners that we have right here in Detroit and around the world. And um, about, well, earlier this month, a group of 20 of us got to travel to Rome, Italy to support some of those partners. Brother Rob and his wife May are teachers and coaches and mentors and friends to people doing business in some of the hardest places in the world. And um, I'll let him tell you a little bit more about that, but I wish you would have been there. I wish you could have heard the stories that we heard and met the people that we met and um, got to experience the worldwide church like I never have before in all my impact travels. It was really cool. So please join me in wel welcoming Brother Rob. There we go. It's great to be home. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I am Rob. I've been a member of the church for about 18 years. Um, was originally invited here by Scott Shom to help in restructuring the global missions program. And by some things that God worked in our lives, you invited us to become part of the church and we joined the church. And all of our friends are like, Detroit? Really? But we have loved it, and we love you guys. It's just been a fabulous church. We're only here maybe six to eight Sundays a year because God has us working in a variety of places around the world, but this is home. It is just so good to be able to stand up here and see everyone and to thank you for your prayers and support and all of the things that you have been doing in and through our lives. And I want to um, just give you a picture here. As we were in Rome together, there was, as Karen mentioned, 20 of us. And you can see on this picture, uh, 17 of the 20, I didn't have pictures of three, but people were providing child care for the children. Uh, there was a prayer team there. Several of the people mentioned just how encouraged they were to see the children blessed, to see people praying and then North Flat, and most of the people who were on stage today were also in Rome leading the worship, and it was an awesome week. Over 350 people gathered from all over the Muslim, Hindu, and Buddhist world. All of our people are actively involved in doing business. About half of them are working for international companies or local companies, and about half of them have started their own businesses where we create jobs, in areas where people need employment, and through those jobs, we are able to both model and share the gospel with people. A little bit about my family. Um, my wife over here, May, you want to stand up just to let people see who you are? And these are the two superstars in our family, my granddaughter Sophie and my grandson Sawyer, who we're going to be uh, with this coming weekend. We're excited about that. And my younger son, uh, Andy, he has his own business in South Asia, and so he was a part of the time in Rome as well. My older son ministers with Bank of America in Colorado. So that's a bit about our family. 
This is where I live. <laughs> my wife and I uh, usually get the emergency exit row because my khaki panjang, as we say in Malaysia, are a little bit long. And so the airlines, due to all our miles, usually give us those seats. And she takes the window because she doesn't like to sit next to me because I'm always moving and standing up and she likes to fall asleep against the wall. So I sit on the aisle and the person in the middle is always like, why don't you two sit together? But that's the reason. And so this is where we spend most of our time and the things that we do. Well, as we all know, the last few weeks, Doug has been leading us and Gerald has been leading us through First Peter. And the topic has been everyday saints. And so this is where we want to get into today. Last week, Doug specifically asked us two questions. The first was, who am I? And the second was, what is my purpose? And he gave us the assignment to go home and to read through 1 Peter and to highlight every verse that relates to who I am and what is my purpose. How many of us did that? All right, a few of us. Okay, I did it. And obviously, out of that came this message. So let's pray and commit this to the Master. Jesus, thank you so much for Grace Community Church, for the family that you've given, May and myself, for the love that so many in this church have just poured on us when we totally are unworthy and we're here so little, but yet they've been so good to us. And I pray now that in the next 30 minutes that you would allow me to return blessing to them through some of the things that you've allowed us to learn in your word and experience in our lives in a way that would encourage them, sharpen them, build them up, and bless them in the assignments that you've given them to do in their everyday lives. So come and lead and speak through this time we ask, Jesus. Amen. Well, the first question that we're asked is, who am I? And as I went through the book of 1 Peter, every chapter, I found there were a lot of things who we are in Christ. It says in 1 Peter that we are the elect, that we're chosen, that we're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It says that we're foreigners. It says that we're royal priesthood. It says we're redeemed, we're born again, we're living stones. But the pivotal verse, I think, in the book is this verse as far as who am I? 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praise of him. Isn't that cool? This is who we are. We're all priests. We're a holy nation. We're chosen for the things God has given us to do. And then he goes on, and the next question is, what is our purpose? Now, I found exactly 35 things in the five chapters of 1 Peter that are our purpose, so way too many to list here. But there's one or two verses, again, in second, uh, the second chapter that I want to highlight our purpose, to live such godly lives that the pagans, though they accuse us of doing wrong, they may see our good deeds and glorify God 
on the day he visits us. And then a couple verses later, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. This is our purpose. This is what God has designed us to do. And as I wrote a summary statement, personal summary statement of this study that I did, this is what I came up with, this, this summary sentence. I am a holy priest who serves the king of kings, and my purpose is to glorify him through worship. Let's read this together. I am a holy priest who serves the king of kings, and my purpose is to glorify him through worship. This is who we are, and this is what we are made to do. This is our purpose. Every single one of us. This is what it means to be an everyday saint. So the question that I naturally ask after that is then, what is worship? If my assignment is to worship God, I need to understand what does it really mean to worship? Because there's a lot of images that come to mind when we think of worship, aren't there? And many of those images center around this room. But I want us to think a little bit differently on these things as we get into the scriptures and understand God's concept of worship. And I'm going to start out by actually giving you four words. And as I share these words, I want you to tell me the very first thing that comes to your mind, okay? So the first word is prophet. What comes to your mind? Money. Money, all right? The second word is competition. Sports. Winning. Business, the other business, all right? Third word is money. Wealth. Last night, Denny said, I want more of it. Yeah, okay. And the last word is business. What do you think of? Jobs. Anything else? Four common words. Now, we're sitting here, what's this place called? Church, sanctuary. All four of these words are in the Bible. Why didn't any of you mention God, the Bible, something related to our spiritual lives? Here's the reason. Because we've been trained to think in two worlds, two boxes. There's the spiritual world, and there's the unspiritual world. There's the clergy who serve and work for God, and then there's the rest of us. There's those who are in tune, in step with God, and then there's those who are out of step. There's those who are paid to be good, and then there's those of us who are good for nothing. And as we think about this dichotomy, we have to ask ourselves, where does this come from and why do we have this? And as I've been studying this for literally many, many years, I've realized or come to the understanding that a lot of this came from the Catholic Church. 
Because literally during a period we call the Dark Ages, there was battles, not just wars being fought, but battles as far as personalities between the religious leaders, the Pope and the cardinals and the kings and the wealthy business people for control of the people. And in fighting for control, the cardinals and the Pope decided that they would force the kings, the wealthy people, all the people, to pray to them, to pray to God. And by doing this, they gained power over the people. And they created this dichotomy to say, look, we talk to God, you don't, you need to pray to us, and then we'll transfer your prayers up to God. This was not something that God intended. It was something very much created by the political system of the Dark Ages. But we today continue to follow it. And as I begin to explore the scriptures, by God's grace, I went to cemetery and buried myself in the books. So I studied Hebrew and I studied Greek. In my study of Hebrew, I came across this word, avda. The word avda is used over 800 times in the Old Testament. So it's not an uncommon word. I'm not taking an obscure verse and making a point out of an obscure verse. It's all over, from Genesis 2 all the way into Malachi. It's throughout the Old Testament. But we need to understand what does this word mean? Because you see, in the English Bible, it's used roughly 800 times in Hebrew, it is translated throughout the English Bible three different ways. This same word, same tense, is translated in many places about one-third of the time as to work, to do a job, to farm, to sow, to do a job. And in about one-third of the places, it's translated as to serve, as I'm serving somebody. And that makes sense. I'm working, I'm doing a job, I'm serving. But the third translation that is used in the scriptures is to worship. As I worship Jehovah Jireh, as I worship El Shaddai, as I worship the King of Kings, exact same word, exact same tense. What does that tell us? It tells us that God receives work unto him as worship, in that everything we do is to be done unto the glory of God. Everything we say, everything we think, everything we are is to be worship. Our purpose is to worship God. That doesn't mean to sit here or to stand here and to praise him. Well, it does. But it also means to sow, to farm, to do computer work, to cut hair. Whatever our job is, that is a form of worship to Jesus. Everyday saints understand that everything we do is to be done unto the glory of God. This is throughout the Old Testament. And we see how in the studies of this word avada, and I encourage you, write this word down. Go online 
and look at what is written about this word. And don't just read the evangelical writings. The best writings are really the Jewish rabbis who are writing on this word. It's just amazing the insights that they give. A story related to this, about 10 years ago, my wife and I were in Santa Barbara, California, and at that time, one of the businesses we were helping to start was a restaurant, is a restaurant in the Middle East. And so every time we went to a nice restaurant, you know, I'm taking pictures of the decor, I'm asking permission to go into the kitchen to take pictures and just learn how they work. And this restaurant was really cool, had a really neat ambiance, great food, good service. And so at the end of the meal, I asked the waiter, can I meet the manager? And he's like, you know, well, is there something wrong, sir? I'm like, no, no, everything's great. I just would like to learn a little bit more about your operation. And so he called the manager, and this woman comes out, and she sits down at our table, and is everything okay? And I'm like, yeah, everything's fine. I just, you know, am in the process of starting a restaurant in the Middle East, and I'd like to learn your secret. What is your secret? That was the exact question I asked her. And her answer was this, I'm Jewish. And I said to her, Avda. And she's like, how do you know that, you heathen Gentile you? (laughs) She didn't say that. But I could see it in her eyes. But how do you know that? And I explained to her my background and how I studied Hebrew. And so we talked about the restaurant business for the next 20, 30 minutes. But the point is, if the Jewish people today understand Avda, how well do you think they understood it in Jesus' day? Clearly, they understood it very, very well. And we actually see this in Jesus' life because so much of what he teaches happens in the workplace. But I don't want to get on to the New Testament yet. Sorry. Ezekiel chapter 20 verse 40, is a verse that shows this perfectly. For on my holy mountain, the high mountain of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord, there in the land, all the people of Israel will, whoops, work, serve, or worship me. What will we do? But you see, those who do translation are on this side. They're religious professionals, aren't they? So when they translate, what do they do? They translate from their perspective. And so they use the words like ministry and like worship because that's how they portray themselves. But what they have basically done is encourage this separation by saying that, well, this is godly, this is not godly. But that is not what God says. I want to make clear today, that is not his message. That is not our assignment. There is no distinction. There is no separation. In his eyes, it is all avda. It's all one. There's no distinction. And so we need to understand these things. Here's just a couple of the passages in the Old Testament where the word avda, same tense, is translated to work, in another place worship, in another place serve. It's all the same word. God doesn't see it differently. And Oz Hillman, who's written a number of books on business as mission, 
He says this, of Jesus' 132 public appearances in the New Testament, 122 were in the workplace. Of 52 parables Jesus told, 45 have a workplace context. The reason I believe Jesus didn't talk specifically about business is because everybody understood Avda. He didn't have to teach on it because it was part of who they are. But we separated it. And part of the problem is, is many of our writings in the Bible, the New Testament, were not written in Hebrew. The vast majority were written in Greek. And so this creates another issue and another problem. But as I've studied the Greek, I find that there's two words that are consistently translated, quote-unquote, ministry in the New Testament. And these are the words, diakonia and latria. These two words are consistently translated ministry in the Greek. But if you get to the root of what do they really mean, and you can look this up online. This isn't secret knowledge. Type them in and you'll see the root word means to serve. It doesn't mean ministry as we think of ministry. It means to serve. But who are the people who translated the Greek New Testament? The religious professionals. And so what does it mean to serve for a religious professional? It means to do, quote, unquote, Christian ministry. But that's not the concept that is actually being written in the Greek. It's an issue of service. We all know the word deacon. This is where the word deacon comes from. What are deacons supposed to do? Serve, exactly. We know that, but we miss it when we begin to look at the terminology and the way that God has written his word for you and for me. We need to get a hold of these concepts. So when we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, and it says, For yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I want to ask you, how many of you here are full-time Christian workers? All right, you still don't get it, do you? Let me ask this again. How many of you are full-time Christian workers? Every single one of us. There is no exception. There is no distinction in God's eyes. And we want to see the world as God sees it. I don't want to see it as a Republican or Democratic Party sees it. I don't want to see it as ABC News or Fox News sees it. I don't want to see it even as Pastor Doug sees it. I'm sorry, Doug. I want to see it as Jesus sees it. We need to get his understanding. This is what I know has been preached the last few weeks on what does it mean to be an everyday saint. So what is worship? What is worship? Service, work is worship. And when we look at a place of worship, is this what you think of? I hope not. I hope that you begin to see worship as these things. Now, these are some of the businesses that we, my wife and I, work with 
around the Muslim and Hindu world, and they're just going to flip through these pictures so you get a picture of the kind of places and peoples that we're working with. But each of these businesses is set up to create jobs so that we can hire and work alongside Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists. And in creating jobs, what we find is the government welcomes us. They're excited that we're there. Whereas we go as missionaries, we get persecuted, we get rejected, we can't even get visas for many countries to get in. When we come and create jobs, we're welcomed. And people who are employed by us, though they may hate Americans, though they may hate Christians, as they get to know us, they're like, you guys are different. You guys are okay. And they begin to watch our lives. We don't preach to them. We often don't say anything. But they watch our lives. And they see how we pray in the workplace. They see how we offer prayers for people in the workplace. They see how we extend forgiveness when somebody lies to us or cheats us. They see how we extend grace when somebody does shoddy work or is lazy or comes late for work day after day. They see how we talk about Jesus as a personal friend and how we relate to him in a personal way. And then they see love, how if they're sick, we go and visit them, or their kids have an <clears throat> athletic event, we go attend it. How we extend love, care for them in a way that other coworkers don't. And what begins to happen? their attitudes begin to change. This morning in my quiet time, the Lord reminded me of a story. I'll call him George. George was this really big guy, really angry guy. Nobody liked him. Phil, who is one of, our, one of the workers in our network, was working with George. And everybody hated George. But George was an expert at what he did. It was engineering related. And George was the best. So they wouldn't fire George, even though he was just terrible to work with. Anybody have somebody that's terrible to work with? <laughs> oh, wow, got a lot, of, a lot of that. Okay. So that's George. And after meeting with Phil, Phil decided, I'm going to take on George as God's assignment. I'm going to pray for George every day, a lot during the day, and I'm going to try to be his friend. But George had no friends. And so he would try to do things to help George, assist George, love George, pray for George, those kinds of things. And George just kept pushing him away, pushing him away, pushing him away, pushing him away. Called him bad things, treated him bad. It wasn't fun. And this went on for about a year and a half. But after a year and a half, George had a very serious illness, and he was hospitalized for almost two weeks. And during that time, Phil went and visited him two or three times, prayed for him and talked with him. And then George was at home another two weeks before he could come back to work. And during that time, Phil again visited him two or three times and found out that George liked to play cards, so he played cards with him, hung out with him two or three times. When George came back to work after being gone exactly four weeks, when he came into the office before he went to his own desk, he came into Phil's office and he said, Phil, what's with you? Why are you so different? You know, when I was in the hospital, the only person to visit me besides you was my wife. 
nobody else. Why do you care? What does it mean to you? And Phil told him the truth. He said, George, to be honest, I don't like you. Nobody likes you. (laughs) But inside me lives the spirit of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ loves you. And he has told me I am to love you. And so I'm trying to love you. You make it quite hard, to be honest. (laughs) But I'm trying to love you. And so it's not really me, it's Jesus. George's next question was, I know a little bit about this, Jesus. Can you tell me more? It took a week or two, not long, and George asked for a Bible. It took another week or two, not very long, and George prayed to receive Jesus. Phil said the entire environment of the office changed. Because as George changed... The office changed, and as the office changed, everybody wanted to know about Jesus. Those are the things we do. That's how we operate. That's how we work. And so it's modeling, not speaking. It's being Jesus for people. Because what we've learned is what you do speaks so loud, people do not hear what we say. People don't believe what they hear. They believe what they see. This is true with Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus, and we find it's true here in North America as well. I've been spending a little more time in North America as more and more churches are waking up to this fact and are asking us to come and teach them the very same things we're doing overseas. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that you, without they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is our purpose. This is who we are. So what is worship? Work and to serve. Yes, worship is also praise like this as we do every Sunday morning. But it's also to work and to serve. It's all one. Wherever we are, whatever we do, this is our assignment. Paul puts it this way in Colossians. Whatever you do, whatever you do, are you an engineer? Are you a teacher? Are you a barber? Whatever you do, do it. Work at it with all your heart because you're working for the Lord, not for human masters. You're not going to work to get a paycheck. Yeah, that's a benefit, but that's not the primary purpose. You're not going to work because there's nothing else to do. You're not going to work because that's where you get your identity. Our identity is in Jesus. We're going to work to be a worshiper. And so tomorrow, think about this. When you get up, Have the same mentality you had this morning. How many of you this morning woke up and said, yes, I get to go to church? I know I did. We try to arrange our schedule when we're in this stage so that we're here Saturday night, and many times we leave Sunday afternoon. We want to be here. We want to be with you. It's a celebration service. This is who we are. 
And this is what it means to be an everyday saint. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, as we see the first use of this word, Alvada, the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to worship, to serve. The English Bible says work, because you see the commentators, well, you're in the garden, you must be doing work, right? But it's also you're in the garden to worship. How many of you garden? Don't you feel God in that presence of gardening? That's worship. That's great. And we need to see that everything we do is to be just like that. So what is worship? It's to work, it's to serve, and it's to worship. This is who we are. This is what it means to be an everyday saint. Who am I? Again, 1 Peter, chosen people, holy nation. We are priests, and our assignment is to declare his praises. Our purpose is to live such good lives that people see in us something different. They see that though we're accused of doing wrong, though we are criticized, our good deeds glorify God. That is who we are, and this is what our purpose is. And if we do these things faithfully, yes, we'll get criticized. Yes, people will shoot arrows in our back. Yes, there'll be persecution. That's okay. That's okay. You know, when you think of the suffering that we go through compared to the Christians of the second and third hundreds who had to literally go to the Colosseum and face lions and other wild animals, we don't really have much suffering, do we? But as we endure, as we respond in love, we will see a difference. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that you give us to live and to work, to worship you, in all that we are. And I pray that as we move forward in our lives, that you would help each of us to see the assignments you've given us in whatever job that you've given us as an opportunity to obey you as a worshiper, to love, to serve, to lift up your name in and through our actions in ways that will draw our coworkers, our clients, our suppliers to question their own understanding of who you are and how you desire to be their Lord of Lords. And so we thank you for these words. We thank you for this understanding. And we pray for ideas now that you would give us each ideas on how to apply these things as we get up tomorrow morning and head out to worship you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We, there's a couple of words that the Lord has given us for the prayer time, and Mel is going to share those with us. Hey, Grace family. If you've been around here a while, you know that after service, we have prayer down here up at the altar. And this morning, we had quite a few words. Uh, we pray a half an hour before service. 
um, and we would invite all of you to come in the chapel. So if you are so inclined at 9.30 on Sundays and 4.30 on Saturdays, we would love to have you. But um, the group of those people spend some time listening for words of knowledge. And what words of knowledge are simply just direct words from the Lord to you, to me. And so he spoke some specific words to some of us this morning uh, for you to hopefully be encouraged to come down front here. And I'm just a special shout out to the ministry team we need. We will probably need um, a lot of you here this morning. So um, if any of these words apply to you, we would love to have you come down. The other thing that God laid on my heart, wasn't that an incredible message this morning? Wow. Um, Thank you. Thank you, Rob and May, um, for that message. Um, I, feel, I felt like God was tugging on some of our hearts, probably a large group of us who were really feeling moved by this message. And so if that was you, I'm going to ask Rob and May if um, you guys could be over there. Um, if you want a special blessing over your life for your workplace, please come down over there and Rob and May will just pray over the group of you, if that's okay. Um, and then for the rest of us, we had um, some specific words. And these words were peace in the chaos. So if you're having um, some chaotic times and you just need God's peace, that's you. Um, someone had a word for the left thigh if you're having a left thigh issue. Um, some, someone is in an abusive situation and you need prayer. Someone is anxious about a pregnancy. Someone is facing heart disease. Someone is having an arm issue, lump in the left breast, and someone is feeling tired. So we need the entire ministry team down here today. If any of those are you, you're going to feel your heart beating right now, and you know you need to come down here for prayer. Please look for the people who have the green lanyards on for prayer. That is our prayer team. We would love to pray for you. Prayer team, if you want to come down um, here in the front and also on the sides here, look for the prayer team. Look for Robin May, and God bless you. Okay. And just the last thing as the prayer team is coming forward, I want to emphasize what Mel said. So often in church, we think, well, you know, my problem with my coworker, or we need money for our business, or money at home, or those kinds of non-healing, physical healing issues are not worthy of coming forward and being prayed for. They are. And my prayer is, as the prayer team continues to grow and expand in these things, I mean, briefly, I had surgery on my right knee, and for six years I could not walk without pain. And a word of just like this at our church in Singapore, I came forward, and the pain has been gone now for over 20 years, after six years. And so there's tremendous power in these words. We need to understand, but God is just as concerned about what's happening Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday as he is Sunday. He's just as concerned what's happening in your family home as what's happening in your workplace. And so if you have issues in those other places, don't feel that's separate than what is really real because I hope you learn today it's all one, okay? God bless you.